you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. We are back in our series in John. Sorry, I thought there'd be applause there. Um, we're back in our series in John. We're we're we're, we're launching back in, in and we're we're in a new chapter, uh, and so we're going to be kind of having a specific emphasis uh, during the this 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 portion of the text. Uh, just to remind you uh, very quickly, uh, John said he had a purpose when he wrote his book. He he says. Uh, in, in John, in John chapter 20, he says that the reason why he chose to write the book that he wrote, to write the account that he wrote, was so that, that those who read it might come to embrace Jesus as the Messiah and entrust their lives to him. The word he used for that is this Greek word, believe. That's what it means, though. It means to embrace Jesus and entrust Jesus. And, and last week, we sort of had a, a big uh, sweeping overview uh, just to kind of catch us back up. We took a break out of John during uh, the Christmas season. And I wanted to kind of give us a, a, an overview uh, of, of John. And what we saw was that John shows us that Jesus is, is worthy and holy. That Jesus is, is unique in his value and he's unique in his virtue. That, 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 that how he is shows that he is worthy and who he is shows that he is holy. And, and in him we saw that we are both welcome and home. Jesus in his coming proves to us that God welcomes us back to himself. That we are not, we are not kept at a distance. We are not kept, uh, you know, you know, far away. It, my experience, I, I don't know if, if you share this. My experience in talking to people is most of us have 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 bought into the lie, be it because of our own ideas we came up with, be it because of things we were taught and we believed. We we tend to fall into two categories: either that God is distant, that He's withdrawn Himself from us, that He's 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 pulled away, that He's He is uh you know somehow. Uh, undesirous of us, that something in us sort of, uh, if I can use this term, sort of turns God off. It, 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 sort of, it sort of repels him from us. We think that our own wickedness, our own sinfulness, our own frailty and falling causes God to withdraw and that we somehow have to work ourselves back up and earn back his, his, uh, his attention and his affection. Or we fall into the category that God is just sort of disinterested with us. It's not that he hates us, he just doesn't care at all. He doesn't feel anything toward us, and so we ought to just go about our lives and live our lives because God doesn't really care. And Jesus proves that both of those things, come on somebody, are not true. Jesus proves to us that we are welcomed. He, he makes up the distance that we created. In our running, in our hiding, in our striving, in our trying, Jesus makes up the distance, makes up the difference, and comes to us. He doesn't say, you come to me. He says, I'll come to you. So we're welcome, but then we also saw that we are home. We're not just welcome in the sense that we can come to him and leave him, but he says he wants us to find our home in him. We define home as finding our peace, our place, and our purpose in Jesus. Thus answering the searching that we're all in for security, identity, and felicity. And then from that, we said that because of these two things, because of these two truths, that Jesus is worthy and holy, and because I in him am welcome and home, we are to give him worship and honor. 
making sure you're with me. Okay, like, like the, those, 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 those realities, the, the who Jesus is, what he has done, what he's accomplished, and what he reveals, and what he works for me, the, the most natural, the most normal, the most, the, the, Paul says this in Romans, the most reasonable way that we can respond to that is simply to worship and honor Jesus. And so we're going to be taking some time over the next several weeks to look at this idea of worshiping and honoring Jesus. And I want to say this, worship is not just a religious or a spiritual act, it is a human act. Everybody, everywhere, worships. Everybody, everywhere. Now, now, who or what you worship might differ, but everybody worships. You might not recognize it as worship, but you worship. It's what you do. Worship is what we do as human beings. It's by divine design. And the reason why some of you might struggle with the idea of saying, I don't, I don't worship, I don't, I don't sing songs to stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't worship, I don't, I don't bow down to things. I don't, I don't think I really do that. It's because we have too narrow, or, or if I can say it really this way, too, too, too pathetic of a definition of worship. So let's define some terms here real fast before we get to our text this morning. Worship. So I'm going to define worship for us. Worship is the engagement of our attitude, action, or affection in ascribing superior value or virtue to anyone or anything. Worship is the engagement of our attitude, action, or affection. So it's, it's not just about singing songs. It's about our attitude, how you think, how you posture, how you process. What do I think about these things? How do I, what, what, do, I, what do I give my mind to? What's my attitude toward a particular person, a particular thing, a particular activity? What actions do I take? Absolutely. There's, there's a physical element to our worship. What, what do I give my physical self to? And maybe most obviously and, and hopefully is our affection, our devotion, our love, our concern, our care. And when we, when we take those things, when we take what we think about, how we behave, what we love, and we, and we use those things to grab a hold of something and say that this, this person, this thing, this object, this activity has superior, greater than, bigger than, more than value. It's, it's worth. It's, it, it, is, it is deserving of my attention. It is deserving of my affection. It is deserving of my actions, of my, of my, of my doing. When we say it's worth or, or it's virtue, something intrinsic about who it is. When we say that it is higher than, it is, it is of utmost, that very act is, come on somebody, worship. That engagement is worship. It's not just about songs that we sing. Singing songs is worship, but that's not all worship is. So we've got to understand this, that when we give ourselves to someone or something in, in showing it honor, respect, and devotion, we are worshiping that thing. Here's a, here's, a little, here's a little test for you to figure out what you worship. We talk about this a lot around here. We talk about our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony. Where are you investing those four things? All of you have those four things. Some of you have more of them than, than others. But all of you have those four things. So your, your, your time, what, what do you give your time to? How do you spend your time? One of the most depressing things for me in my life 
is, is uh, my, my iPhone. Does your iPhone do this? That every week it tells you how you've spent your time on your iPhone? Mine does it. I'm not kidding. I don't know how to change this. If you know how to change this, please come to me. Mine does this every Sunday morning right before service starts. Like, you want to be depressed about how you spent your week? Here you go. Like, I did not. My phone lies. It doesn't know what I do. It's, it's, I left the phone on YouTube instead of on the counter. I was watching it. <laughs> that wasn't at all how I invested my time. How do you invest your time? Where do you spend your time? Your talent, the intrinsic things that you are good at, the, the gifts, the abilities that God has given you. Where do you invest that? Your treasure, the, the money, the finances that you have, where are you pouring those finances? When you, well, here, here's, here's, a, here's a test. When you first get, if, you, if you've ever had this experience, you get an, an unexpected sum of money. What's the first thing you think about putting that money toward? I would, I would challenge you to say that thing very well might be what you worship. And your testimony, here's a big one. You say testimony, what do you mean testimony? What do you talk about the most? What, when it comes across the radar of your awareness, are you the most likely to share with somebody else? Something pops up on your news feed. Something, something jumps out at you. What, 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 what thing? Look through. I challenge you. Try, try this. Look through your own phone. Look at your text messages and see what you talk about the most. I would challenge you to say that thing very well might be what you worship. And here's the interesting thing that I'm discovering in this season of my life. Maybe you're discovering it as well. I don't know. I've always ascribed worship to positive things. But what I'm discovering in this season of my life is things that I, I, I ascribe negative attributes can just as easily, my, my, my hatred, my frustration, my anger, my, 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 can I say disdain, my yuckiness toward those things can just as easily become an idol can just as easily become something that I worship, that I give my time, my talent, my treasure, my testimony to. And so as we look at worship, we need to understand I'm not talking to you to try to get you to become a worshiper. You are right now, by divine design, a worshiper. You worship something or someone. And the danger with this is that, that, that according to Revelation, only one person, only one being in all of existence is worthy or capable of receiving that worship. And that is Jesus. By saying worthy, what it, what, yes, it means that he, he, he deserves it. He, he does. But it also means that he is capable of receiving it. You see, when we give worship to things other than him, we destroy those things and we destroy ourselves. We, 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 we love, come on, we love to judge celebrities for having crummy marriages and jacked up lives. And I'm here to tell you, it is, it is our fault for worshiping them and their fault for receiving worship that causes that garbage in their life. They are unable, they are, they are not capable, they were not designed to receive that worship. Parents, some of you worship your kids and you wonder why they're going sideways and their lives are jacked up. It's because you worship them. 
their, their abilities, their achievements. Their, look, look your, your kids are wonderful. We love them. But they are not Jesus. They cannot receive. They cannot bear the weight of your worship. Love them. Raise them. Steer them in their lives. Teach them not to wreck stuff at the church. We, but do not worship them. Do you know how many, how many marriage counseling sessions I, I've, 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 I've had where the reality of the problem in the marriage is that the spouses worship each other? Now, it goes negative real fast because once the spouse lets you down, oh, baby. I, I, I kind of, so when I first started in ministry, when I first, first, first was, was, was in full-time ministry, one of the things I hated the most was, was doing weddings. I just hated it. Because I, I'm sort of like, I don't know, just maybe be honest with you for a second, open and transparent. You probably don't know this about me. I tend to say inappropriate things. I know that's shocking to you, but that doesn't go over well when Grandma Betty's in the front row. So I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I just tell people, like, here's the deal. We can do weddings. And some of you, I've done your wedding. You, you know I've had this conversation. We can do your wedding one of two ways. We can either go super strict and formal. I'm going to read everything. And it's just, we're, I promise you'll be married at the end, but we're just going to get there. Or we're just going to go for it and we're going to have fun. And I ain't responsible for anybody who's offended in your family. And everyone always says the same thing. Can you do a little of both? Nope. Can't. Don't know how. Haven't figured it out yet. Don't know how. It wasn't until, honestly, I started performing the wedding ceremonies of, of, of kids that were like my spiritual kids that I, you know, either led to Christ or they came to our youth ministry and then they got, they, they, they raised up in the youth ministry and I got to with them, you know, do their wedding. That I, That's when I really started to enjoy doing weddings. So I enjoy it now, but I, I didn't for a very, very long time. But one of the things that I really enjoy now is listening. I love you. I lo if I've done your wedding, I'm just going to look down. It is the absolute nonsensical garbage y'all tell one another at the altar. I'm going to love you forever, and I'm always going to, people always want to write their own vows, which is like, great, so when you screw up those, it's your fault. Like, you're the one who came up with those promises, not me. We let each other down in our marriages all the time. So many people think, if I can just get married, all my problems will be solved. All the people laughing right now are the married people. All the people that aren't married right now are like, what are you talking about? Well, that's pretty much the way it works. Hollywood, movies, come on, books, everything tells you that once you, like, find your, like, the one with your heart song, you know, that it's just all going to work out. I don't know why I just quoted Happy Feet, but whatever. <laughs> Parents are laughing. I was about to be like, Happy Feet, okay, whatever. See, we worship all, anything, anything can become an idol. Anything can become an object of worship. What I'm trying to do right now is not make you into a worshiper. I'm trying to tell you that the only thing that is worth your worship is Jesus. So we're going to spend some time looking at this. And, and Lindsay did a great job in the video. We've been talking about this. We feel like the Lord has in, is inviting us in this season to invest the first fruits of 2021 in just worshiping Jesus. So we're gonna, here's, here's, here's how this is going to roll for the next couple weeks. I know last week I said three weeks. I was wrong. It's bound to happen. We're doing for four weeks. So for the next four weeks, 
Sunday nights at 6 p.m. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to talk about worship. My goal is going to be to try to expand our worship, try to encourage us to worship Jesus. I then want you to go home, spend some wonderful time with your friends and your family over the afternoon on Sundays, and then come back here or tune back in. It's going to be in-person and streaming. So if you're an in-person person, then be an in-person person. If you're an online person, be an online person. I think that all made sense. Okay. And we're just going to worship. And, and, and I've been getting a lot of questions like, well, what are, what are we going to What are we going to do? And, and I've struggled, and I finally feel like the Lord gave me an answer. So here it is. What are we going to do? What's this all about? It's about more about what we're not going to do than what we are going to do. See, we, we, like, we, like to, we like to be productive. I believe as, as human beings, God designed us to be productive. But in, in, in the absence of productivity, we'll just take busyness. Because well, when, when, productivity is hard, right? Like, like you actually have to produce something that's like difficult. So, so to make up for the fact that, that our, 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 our activity isn't producing anything, we just think we'll just add more stuff. And I think what these nights are about is just stripping all of that away and doing nothing but worshiping him. That's it. We're going to gather together at 6 going to be in here. Uh, the, the nursery, just for those, a few logistical things real fast. The nursery will be open, but it will not be manned. The nursing mother's room will be open, but will not be manned. Um, and we'll have some activities, some like, we'll probably have some uh, activities for kids to do back in this area. We'll roll, usually what we do on worship nights, we'll roll out some paper, have some crayons. Kids can color and worship the Lord that way. But I encourage you to come back here as a family. Let's worship the Lord together. Amen? All right. Can I start preaching now? Okay. John chapter 12, verse 1. We're in 12, everybody. Woo! All right, 12. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. John chapter 12. We're going to read eight verses together. John chapter 12. Amazing account. One of, one of the few accounts that is found in all four books of the Bible, what we're about to read. We're going to get into some of, the, some of the, that stuff later uh, in, in weeks to come. But for right now, I just want to read this to us. John chapter 12, verse one, going to read through verse 8. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That's what we, we talked about in the last chapter. Verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge over the money bags, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. 
But maybe now more than ever in my life, I am thankful for the rock of your word. Lord, we come to you this morning in sincere and utter desperation to hear your word and to hear your voice in the midst of your word. As we read the, these, these, these black and white words, that the whisper of the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that they would, they would cause us to become undone. That they would break down areas in our thinking, in our lives, in our, in our attitudes, in our behaviors, in our very beliefs, in the very core of who we are. We break down things that we have built up to try to keep you out. Jesus, that you would break down every barrier and that you would plant within the, the, the soil of our soul the seed of your word that it might grow, that it might, that it might cause a transformation within us, that it might build up something that bears fruit in our lives, that the world might know just how good you are the world might see just how worthy and just how holy you really are. That we might come to believe just how welcome and just how home we are in you. And that the world might be filled with worship and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Greet somebody around you and grab a seat. Amen, amen, amen. So as we dive through this, we're we're going to be spending quite a while in this text and and we're going to we're going to we're going to kind of look at it in a lot of different ways, a lot of different angles. Um and we'll drill down into some of the historic context, the textual things. But, but this morning, I, I want to talk to you under the title, uh, Wasted, Seven Lessons on Worship. Seven Lessons on Worship. I, I, I want to just sort of look at the whole text and try to, try to see the, the elements that I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us about worship in the context of this story. Uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting uh, account. There's a lot of details given about time frame. R- recognize, uh, I said I'm not going to talk about the text, but here we go. Um, we're, we're, we're in the last week of the life of Jesus, the last earthly week of the life of Jesus. Come on, Jesus is still alive, amen? But his earthly ministry, he's, he's headed toward the cross. He's, he's, he's set toward that event happening. Uh, and yet in the midst of that, we have this account of this amazing of this amazing action taken by Mary. So, so what I want to do is I want to I look at seven, seven lessons, seven lessons on, on worship. 
We're just going to work through these. I hope to get through all of them today. Um, I'll, I, will, I will preach fast if you'll listen fast. Um, and, and I like Angie better than all of you right now. Um, and uh, for those of you at home, Angie's telling me to take my time. Um, it's not my time I'm worried about. It's yours. Uh, so, uh, so, so here we go. We're just, we're just going to go through this. And, and I've, got, I've probably got too much to say about each one of these. And so we'll, I'll try my best to just do it in an overview. And we'll drill down into probably each of these at some point over the next few weeks. So the first thing we see about worship is that worship is all for Jesus. Worship is all for Jesus. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to read something that I wrote. I don't do, to be honest. I mean, I have notes, but they're they're barely legible. First off, and I barely use them. Um, but I, I wrote something th- this week. Some, I, I really, oh man, okay. I really feel like part of what I want this gathering together of of us to be is is a time i believe by by design it's supposed to be a time where we recalibrate our focus on 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 the kingdom and on the eternal i say that because i, I don't like to address the topic of the day um my, my the staff here were was a part of a of a, a have you all done this at your work a digital conference right like you can't go be with people so you have to just do it over video and, and the way it had worked was, was they asked um, a bunch of different people to, to prepare messages, and they all spoke. And they, they recorded them in their own, uh, you know, facilities, their own churches. It was a pastor's conference, a leader's conference. And, and, uh, and they all, you know, recorded their messages and sent them in, and then they just sort of, you know, edited them together and broadcast them w- with some live events. It was an overall great event. It was awesome. It was very encouraging. But here's, here's what we noticed. Every single one of them because they didn't know what anybody else was going to say, started out talking about this year's been hard with the COVID-19. It's like every single one, that was the first thing they said. And if I'm going to be honest, it got to the point where it, be, it became like a weight on my soul as they just kept bringing back up and dredging back up all the stuff that had happened over the year. And I don't think they knew everybody else was going to do it. If, if like one person or two people would have done it out of like the eight or 12 people that preached, probably wouldn't even have noticed it, right? But because everything in our life is essentially just like, I feel like every camera in the world right now is just zoomed in on like an outhouse that's burning down. Somebody sent me a picture, and it was, it was literally, it was like a row of honey buckets. Everybody know what a honey bucket is, right? Like an outhouse, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a portajon. And they were all on fire, and it said, if 2020 was a scented candle. And I was like, pretty much. And, and part, of my, part of my belief is that church, come on, the gathering of the saints is supposed to be us lifting our eyes off of that and onto the eternal and realizing that there's like bigger stuff going on right now. And yet, when something happens that is related to the sons of God, the people of God, the church, I... I feel like sometimes it's appropriate to respond. And something happened this week in the church. I'm not, I'm not talking about political stuff right now. We could talk about that like all day. Not going to. But something happened, and I, I, this just came out of me, and I want to read it to you. In light of, as it relates to, we say that we worship, worship is all for who? Who's it for? A little louder. Okay, there we go. In light of recent public statements and a public prayer made by a particular minister, I want to be utterly 
and abundantly clear on this point. We hold that the God of the Bible, known as Yahweh, is supremely, steadfastly, and singularly worthy. And we are saved by, pray to, and worship only the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. We fully reject the idea that all gods are the same and hold to the absolute necessity for all people, regardless of age, race, religion, creed, nationality, gender, sexual orientation, political affiliation, social standing or financial means, all people are called to repent and believe the gospel in order to experience regeneration, redemption, reconciliation, and reclamation in Christ. When we say we all the worship goes to Jesus, nobody else gets worship. No other, no other name is like his name. And the idea, the idea that Yahweh of the Bible revealed to us in the God-man Jesus would share his glory with any other lesser spiritual being is, is, is evidence of an utter ignorance of, of both, of both the, 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 the reality and the complexity of the unseen realm and the nature of Yahweh himself. I say ignorance not as a derogatory term. I know it's a derogatory term. I just mean like it, it, it is a witness of the, of, the, of the lack of information, education, and, and awareness of the truth of those things. When you stand up before our nation and say that Yahweh is the same as these other gods, you prove how ignorant you are about who Yahweh is. No one is like him. Are there other spiritual beings out there? Absolutely. They are not like him. We do not pray to them. We are not saved by them. We do not worship them. He gets all the worship. All of it. Now that's easy to amen on the big scale, right? Like we're like talking about like I, I'm not I'm like I'm not gonna go worship the the any other you know angelic supernatural being. But again, I want to back us up and realize that that I think I think in in mo for most of us, not all of us, okay. Not all of us, but for most of us, the idolatry that is, that is, that is appealing, that is tempting, that is, is thrust upon us is a materialistic ideology, not a spiritual ideology. It's a, it's a materialistic idol worship, not a, not a spiritual idol worship. Now, some of you, uh, like me, came from backgrounds of mysticism, and so there is a, a temptation in that. But, but for most of us, it's, it's, it's uh, I think the theological term is stuff and things. Right, like we, we worship, we give ourselves to stuff and things. But, but this story shows us that only Jesus gets the worship. She doesn't share with all the other people there. She doesn't go around and, and, and we, we can imagine, right, this was like a, a fancy dinner. This was, a, this was something to honor Jesus. So the guest list was probably pretty stacked with pretty well-known people. Lazarus at this point was a celebrity. 
Like everybody knew like Lazarus had died and was raised from the dead. Like, like he was doing the circuit in the synagogues. You know he was. Like he was going everywhere talking about all, the, uh, all that God had done. She doesn't, she doesn't share worship with anybody. She just gives it all to him. Idolatry is a sneaky thing. I like author, speaker, John Bevere, he used to define idolatry like this. He'd say, an idol, an idol is anything you love like or trust more than you love like or trust Jesus. Here's, here's, here's what I want to say. Anywhere that you go to try to, to try to find identity, security, or felicity, that's an idol. Anywhere you go to try to figure out who you are, anywhere you go to try to find some peace, anywhere you go to try to, to, try to find some joy, those things are idols. If it's, if it's not Jesus, well, y'all are amen and like crazy when I'm saying we don't worship demons, but now I'm like, you don't worship your car either. You're like, well, hold on a second. It's a pretty nice car. <laughs> we don't worship our jobs. We don't worship our bank accounts. We don't worship our credit score. We don't worship our house. We don't worship any. We, 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 we cannot, if we go to those things, if we give ourselves to this and try to find our peace, if, 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 oh, I love you. If the news that you heard this week caused your peace to increase or decrease, if the news you heard this week caused your joy to increase or decrease, that thing that you heard about very well, it might be an idol in your own life. Because we've inherited a kingdom, come on somebody, that cannot be shaken. So if my life is rooted and planted in the kingdom, then it's the, here, here's what I want, I hope you hear this in me. If it was, if, if, if your joy went up, if your joy went down, if your peace went up, if your peace went down based upon news you heard this week, national, personal, relational, financial, doesn't matter. What I'm trying to tell you is this, the goodness of Jesus is trying to show you that you're putting your faith, your hope, your trust, you're, you're looking for identity, security, in those things. And he's trying to warn you now to get it out of those things and get it in him. It's his goodness that has me sharing this with you right now, not his judgment. It's his goodness. I got seven of these and I'm halfway through one. Okay. Second one, let's just go. Second one. Worship is an act of sacrifice. Worship is not, worship this is what I mean by that. Worship is meant to cost you something. David actually said he refused to offer anything to the Lord that didn't cost him something. It's meant to cost something. She, she, she pours out, come on, an expensive perfume. This perfume, we'll get into this later, but this perfume was most likely the most expensive thing this woman owned. If you do the math based on the price that they quote here, it's about a year's salary. For a full-time Roman soldier. Good, it's, a, it's a good little chunk of change. She just sacrifices on Jesus. Again, we, we talked about this before. Time, talent, treasure, testament. We're supposed to worship him with those things. But I also want to drill down this. Because I, I feel like over the years the pendulum swings, right? We all know this. Like almost everything in our life, pendulums like to swing. And, and, and 
and there, there, there's been a swing for a lot of years, I feel like, and, and it's good. It's, it's, it's correcting some things into this time, talent, treasure, testimony part of worship. Like that worship isn't just about songs. It's about everything that we do. Worship's about the way I live my life, right? That's a good thing. But I think that maybe we need to remember that worship is also about singing. Um, here's what Hebrews says. Hebrews 13, 15. We're talking about sacrifice. Here's what it says. It says, through him, that is Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise to God. Okay, well, New Testament, what is that? That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. I, I say this right now because I want to I protocol tonight a little bit. Because you're all coming back tonight, right? Right, six of you, okay. When we gather together to worship, it is not close your eyes and think Jesus thought time. It's not, it's not close your eyes and pretend like you're meditating on stuff and not trying to figure out where you're going to have lunch afterwards. It's time to open your mouth and declare his goodness. I've shared this before. I'll share it again. My grandpa used to spend summers with him on the farm. And, uh, and we'd go to church, and we'd sing out of hymnals. Can I get amen from anybody who sang from a hymnal? And we'd sing from hymnals. And I noticed very quickly when I was a kid that Grampy didn't sing. And I remember asking him once. I said, Grampy, why don't, why don't you sing? Grampy's up playing piano or organ. She's, a, she, she's amazing. She's one of the greatest musicians I've ever known. She'd be up playing, and Grampy just be singing. He'd always have the hymnal open, but he just wasn't singing. And, and I remember asking him, I said, Grampy, why don't you sing? And he goes, uh, if you heard my voice, you would know that that would not honor God. And, and I remember, oh, okay. But here's the deal. I, I love my Grampy, and I would never say this to his face, because I'm pretty sure even though he's like almost 100 years old, he could still bury me alive. Um, he was wrong. One of my heroes, a guy named Rich Mullins, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord. He's a fairly well-known singer-songwriter in the Christian world. He wrote the song, Awesome God, so you either now love him or hate him. But um, he, he wrote the song, Awesome God, and, and he, used to, he used to say this. He said that he, one of the things he loved about church was, was the singing, that there was nothing more beautiful to him than the sound of a bunch of people lifting up their voice and slightly out of tune singing together. And most people that sing in church do it very badly, but the beautiful thing about church is it's the one place that you can gather together and do what you do the worst as loud as you possibly can. And I agree with him. Something about the, the, the sound of the people of God lifting up their voices, that's the New Testament sacrifice that God is after. Worship is supposed to be a sacrifice, and part of that sacrifice is the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name. We're called to lift up our voice, good or bad, come on, and declare his praises. Amen? Uh, worship. The third thing, worship is both corporate and intimate. Worship is both corporate and intimate. Notice this, this event happens in a crowd, right? There's a crowd of people. It's a big, big dinner. The idea is that the, the implication is there's lots of people here. She, John mentions kind of a few of them, but there's a, a crowd of people. And it, she, she, she does this just for him. And, and I say both, and the moment I say that, I want to change it. I want to say it's, it's, it's dual. It's, it's, it's corporate and it's intimate. I think it's always supposed to be both. That's what I mean by dual. It's always supposed to be. When, you, when we gather together to worship, listen, if you don't, then you're not real deep. Sometimes we think like, well, I came into a room where people were worshiping, so I worship. No, you didn't. You have to actually engage in worship for you to be worshiping. 
So it has to be corporate, but it has to be intimate at that same moment. You personally have to worship in order to worship. I know this is real deep. We have to engage hearts and mouths and worship. So even in a corporate setting, come on somebody, it has to be intimate. But I also mean that on the flip side. When you worship by yourself, which I hope you do, when you have your private intimate times of worship, you need to recognize that you're actually not doing it alone. That people all over the planet at that moment are worshiping him. Beyond that, there are, according to the scriptures, innumerable angels worshiping him. So even in your intimate moments, come on, and when you're private and alone with him, you're actually doing something very corporate. So it has to be both. She comes to him and she worships intimately and yet in a room. What this means is that anywhere that Jesus is and a sacrifice is made, that place is a place of worship. He's always with you, so you can always worship if you're willing to sacrifice. And he is uniquely in the midst of his people, he says. So as we corporately come together, we start with the sacrifice. It's why we start worship, why we start our services with worship. Next thing. Worship is an expression of gratitude and affection. Worship is meant to be about expressing gratitude and affection. She gave this joyfully, willingly. Realize that for her, we, we, we talked about this when we talked about Lazarus raising, that his sisters, we, we, we have no account in the, in the, in the family uh, layout that, that Mary and Martha had any other male headship. And at this time in history, it, it genuinely was a patriarchy. A, a woman needed a, a, a man to be the head over her. We, we see no mention of their husbands. We see no mention of, of their fathers. So, so, so in that structure of society at that time, they needed, come on, their brother. And so Jesus in raising Lazarus, yes, he's doing good for Lazarus because, you know, he's not dead anymore. But he's also doing good to Mary and Martha. And Martha in this moment, or Mary in this moment says, I, I, I've got an opportunity to show him just how grateful I am. And so the most expensive thing I have, I'm just going to give it to him. I'm just going to pour it on his feet. She does it because she loves him. She does it out of an overflow of these things. Jesus saved her. Maybe twice. We'll get that later. Some evidence is that he delivered her from, from a lifestyle that had kept her in bondage. And then Jesus comes and in the biggest moment of her need, he raises her. I think some of us, come on, need to be reminded that Jesus saved you. Jesus, Jesus grabbed you where you were and got you where you are. And I don't care. Come on. I would rather be where I am now with Jesus than anywhere I've ever been without him. And so worship is just supposed to be an overflow of, of expressing the fact that I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that he's done it and I love him. Worship is about expressing gratitude and affection. When Jesus moves, come on, when Jesus moves in your life, you ought to respond. C.S. Lewis tells us that 
that the joy is actually incomplete until it is expressed in gratitude. You ever notice that? Like something awesome happens in your life, and it's the, the, the thing itself is awesome, right? Like, like, like maybe that unexpected money I talked about earlier or, 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 or just something, you know, a relationship is reconciled with somebody or your car was broken and, and then it got fixed or somebody paid for it or you just got a gift from somebody. And, and it's like you, you're, you're excited about that thing that you got, but it's not until you tell somebody about it that the joy's really complete. Like you want to go tell people. That's by design. It's not just enough to experience his goodness. He says that, that he designed us so that, that that experience, come on, would roll up into the praise of his name. And this is the very thing. I don't know where I can, we'll just go here. This is the thing that actually safeguards you from idolatry. When you let every good thing in your life roll up into the praise of his name, when you recognize that every good thing in your life is evidence that he is good, when you recognize that, like, hey, my, my spouse that I have is a gift from the Lord, and you let that, that, that relationship with all of, its, with all of its, 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 its imperfections and all of its shortcomings, mostly probably your fault, when you allow that to roll up into the praise of his name. If you were raised in a Christian home or you've been around Christians very long, you know that you're, you're supposed to like pray for your food. Can I tell you something? When you're on the mission field, you probably need to pray for your food. Like, you might be wise to, like, take some time to intercede over your food. Take heart. Jesus said, like, whatever's put before you, just eat it. If it's poisonous, he'll take care of it. But not a bad idea to pray for it. Can I tell you that most of you, the food that you eat, okay, the truth is the food that most of you eat is probably going to kill you, but it's going to take a really long time. I remember as a, at, when I was in, uh, hanging out with a, a small group that my wife and I were a part of for a while. We had, we had gone out. We had, like been, we had like a worship night. We went really, really late. And this was back in like the early 2000s when not everything was open all night. So the only thing that was open after midnight back in the late 90s, early 2000s, anybody? Taco Bell. So, so we went to Taco Bell. We got a bunch of food. We came back. We, just, we bought like all the, we just w- drove up. It was like, give us all the tacos. And they're okay. And like, and all the fire sauce. Okay. And then we, we just like threw it down the table. And we were all like praying over it. And remember somebody said like, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. And all of us started laughing because like, that would be a miracle. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of this ain't even meat. <laughs> right? Why do we pray before we eat? We actually are called to pray before we eat to thank Jesus for the fact that we even have food. It's supposed to be about gratitude. It's not praying that you don't die from it. Here's an idea. Make better choices with what you eat. (laughs) I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) Called to... When, when we receive things with gratitude and we don't let the experience terminate upon itself, but we let it roll up into the praise of his name, we are safeguarded from idolatry. Because the nice car you drive, you thank Jesus for it. And if he takes it, you thank Jesus for it. And the house that you live in and the friends that you have and the job that you have or the free time that you have, you thank him for it. It's about expressing gratitude and affection. Next. Worship is an act of willing, joyful, humble surrender. Worship is an act of willing, joyful, humble surrender. Where, where, where does she worship? At his feet. She worships 
at his feet. She submits to him. We don't just worship when we're happy. We don't just worship when we're excited. We don't just worship when we see good. We worship because we, we willingly, joyfully, humbly surrender to him. She, she, she does two things. She, she worships at his feet, and she, she wipes his feet with her hair. So, so she takes a posture of, of humility. But then she takes what at that time and culture would have been considered her beauty, her mantle, her, her, her loveliness, her worthiness would have been represented in her hair. And she uses the most important part of herself to clean the filthiest part of him. Now recognize that everyone at this point walked everywhere they went. And they wore sandals. I've said this before. Jesus can wear sandals. Gentlemen, you should not. Can I get an amen from some ladies, right? Like nobody needs to see your toes. Not in the Bible. It's just the truth. Okay? Jesus invents shoes because he loves you. But Jesus is wearing sandals and he's walking everywhere and animals walked all the places, come on, that humans walked. There was no indoor plumbing. So the roads were filthy. And so he would have carried that filthiness from the traveling of his day into that room and she uses the most valuable part of herself clean to wipe down. Other accounts of this story say that she wept as she did it and she wept so profusely that she actually used the water of her tears to clean his feet. But nobody forced her, hear me, nobody forced her to, this was, this was out of willingness, this was out of joy, this was out of a humility of knowing that, listen, that, that, listen, the most valuable part of her was less valuable than the least valuable part of him. So it was a good trade. The dirt on his feet was worth more to her than the cleanliness of her own hair. Next thing we see is that worship affects atmosphere. Worship affects atmosphere. Don't, don't need to talk a lot about this. She, she pours perfume out. It fills the room. Come on. We've all experienced this. I, I know for me, I'm going to be level with you. For me, the, the first time we gathered back in person was one of those atmosphere moments for me. We'd been apart for a while, right? Like during, during shelter in place, we'd been apart for a while. And, and we, 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 the presence of the Lord was good and he was with us. But come on, something happens, right? When people gather together. And I spent most of the morning just going like, you have to lead worship, stop crying. I know y'all are way too cool for that. You were fine, but whatever. Worship affects atmosphere. But here's what I want to say about that real quick. What we've discovered over the years in ministry is this, that the, the atmosphere in which something takes place is almost as important as what takes place in that atmosphere. I'll prove it to you. I have gone to restaurants that serve some of the best meals I've ever had. And I was at one particular restaurant. And I went in, and first off, the atmosphere was just, am I allowed to say pretentious? I don't know why, but that seems rude. It was pretentious. It was, it was that like, like they knew they were better than you the whole time, right? Anybody had this experience? Like you walk in, you're like, can I have a table? And they look at you like, can you have a table? <laughs> Do you know which one the salad fork is? Yeah, the one I'm going to eat the salad with. My using it for salad makes it a salad fork.
And so they sat me and my friends back in the back of the room for reasons. And listen, the food was good. The behavior of the staff was not. But the worst part of it was the back of the room was right next to the bathroom, which backed up. And the atmosphere in which I existed and had to eat that food ruined the action of the food. Right? Like, it didn't matter how good the meal was, the atmosphere ruined it, right? Any, any, any spouses in the room ever, ever had atmosphere issues in your home? It doesn't matter what happens, the atmosphere has ruined the actions that take place in that home. Any parents know that your kid's attitude, come on, creates an atmosphere, and even if they obey you when they have a crummy attitude about it, it ain't really that helpful. The atmosphere in which something takes place is almost as important as what takes place there. And so when we, sh- when we in worship, come on, see atmosphere shift, even when nothing else changes, everything else changes. Even when, even when nothing, nothing practical shifts or changes, yet everything has changed. Atmosphere produces, or, or, or worship affects atmosphere. Last thing. Worship, true worship. When I say worship, I mean worship that's all those other six things, right? All about Jesus, sacrificial, corporate and intimate, filled with gratitude and affection, done joyfully in humble submission to Jesus as it affects the atmosphere. Worship, true worship that's like that, is seen as wasteful by those blind to the true value of Jesus. See, see, see. Judas only saw his relationship with Jesus as valuable because it personally benefited himself. And so when he sees her pour out this stuff, he doesn't really care about the poor. He's just going like, I could have skimmed off a good chunk of that money. That would have benefited me. See, some of us, I love you. Some of you are willing to worship as long as it helps you. There have been seasons in my life where I've, I've, I have wanted to worship just because I knew it would help me. I said earlier that worship affects atmosphere, but we don't worship to affect atmosphere. We worship because he's worthy. You see, and, and when people who don't understand the true value, purpose, worthiness, holiness of Jesus see people worship, really worship, all they can think is, man, that's just, that's just, they're just wasting their time. They're just making fools out of themselves. But the reality is that Jesus is worth everything. He's worth everything. When we step into the atmosphere of worship, it exposes our hearts. So tonight as we gather, it's not about what we are doing. It's about what we're not doing. We're not doing anything else. We're just going to worship him. We're just going to open up whatever value we have and pour it at his feet. Let's stand to our feet. We believe that we're called to respond when we hear the word of the Lord. So we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to worship right now. We're going to take communion. We're going to make ministry available for people.
But the way we're going to respond to what we've heard right now is we're going to gather back together tonight at 6 o'clock and worship Jesus together. We're going to worship him by spending time with our families this, today. Amen? With our, with our friends, with our fr- families. With We're going to come back here tonight. We're going to tune back in tonight. Tune back in. My kids say that when I say tune in, it makes me sound old. Log on to the stream. Barf. Um, we're going to worship Jesus. If you're here this morning or you're, you're, you're hearing this or watching this, I do want to encourage you. You worship somebody or something. The reality is, for most of us, if it's not Jesus, it's actually ourself. We worship our own comfort. We worship our own pleasure. We worship our own idea of who we think we are, who we think we should be, or who we think other people should think that we are. And all of that will let you down. All of that will fail you, and you will fail all of that. My cry, my prayer to you this morning, my hope for you is that you will surrender and you will humbly, joyfully submit to the supremacy of Jesus. That you will give him all of your worship. You will abandon every other worthless thing in your life and give it all to him. Again, I'm not talking about finding religion. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about pouring out your life, intimate affection, the feet of Jesus. If you're doing that this morning, I, I believe that as you do that, as you as you let go of those things, as you abandon those things in your life that are worthless, as you embrace Jesus, the scriptures tell me this, that what you're actually doing is you're repenting and you're believing the gospel. I said early on in this message that we believe everybody, and I listed every category I could think of. Everybody needs to repent and believe the gospel. What I just described, admitting and abandoning all those things and embracing Jesus, that is what the Bible means by repent and believe. If you're doing that, the scriptures tell me that you go instantaneously from being separated from God to being actually dwelling within him personally. You go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. You go from being an enemy of God, either willingly or ignorantly, to being the family of God. For the rest of us, I want to just... I know I've gone way over, and I I do apologize for that, but I want to just say this last thing before we move in response. We as a people, as a church, and I know we've got quite a few people that are new in the last season of this church, and that's awesome. We welcome you. You're welcome to be part of the family. You're welcome to be here. But I wanted to let you know that you've stepped into something that has a history longer than anybody in this room. And as a people, we've, we talk a lot this last year about legacy. And part of our legacy is a legacy of worship. But here's what the Lord spoke to me this week. I just want to say this to us, and I might share a little bit more of this before we start worshiping tonight. That legacy is lost and just becomes history when it's not stewarded over well. 
that legacy, that this, this idea of this inheritance that we receive and this inheritance we're called to pass down, if we don't steward what's given to us and, and entrust it to someone else, then that legacy just becomes history. And, and please hear me, please hear me. I, I'm, I'm not interested in celebrating history. But I'll give my life to steward legacy. Because there's some people coming after me. And I want where they stand, where they start their race, come on, to be the place I end mine. I don't want my son and my daughters to have to make up the ground, come on, that I lost. I want to steward well. And if there's, if there's one area of my life that I want to steward well, it's intimacy with him in worship. So as we gather together, this isn't just about some nights of worship. This is about stewarding well the legacy we've inherited and the legacy we're called to leave. Let's not let our legacy become history. All it takes is a little bit Come on, all it takes is just a little bit of, of, of folly, a little bit of laziness, a little bit of laxness, and legacy is lost. I don't want the next generation to have to redig wells that the previous generation handed to me. So, Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning that you call us to simply waste our worship on you. The productivity side of us might say we need to accomplish something. That, that the, 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 the practical side of us might say that we could give our, our evenings to better things, to more worthy things, to more, more productive, more, more practical things. But I believe more than anything else in this season of this house, what you're calling us to is to just waste some time at your feet because nothing poured out on the feet of Jesus is ever truly wasted. It has a purpose bigger than anybody in the room can ever see. where we've become lax in our worship, just expecting the flow to happen because of someone else. God, we repent. Where we've allowed the opinions of other people to affect the way in which we worship. God, we repent. Church, let's take some time and let's just wait at his feet this morning. Here's what I'm going to do. My fault, I went over. So here's what we're going to do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. We're, we're going to officially dismiss this morning, but here's what I'm going to ask. If you need to leave, I understand. We, 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 made, a, we made a commitment here together that this is when we would end, and, and I get it. I... I I, I talk too much. But we're still going to respond. So I'm going to ask the team to leave the lights where they are. If you need to go, we ask you respect those that are going to stay here. We're just going to worship for a bit. We're going to leave the live stream on. So if you're, because y'all can leave whenever you want. When you're, if you're at home, you, I don't even know if you're even still here. This is one of my favorite things about it, right? Like, 
we're just going to worship. It's going to take some time. I, I asked, I asked Marina if she would sing this specific song. It's been something in this area that's meant a lot to me. We're just going to take some time. If you need prayer, we had a couple guys build us a cross over here so that I can say something I want to say. If you need prayer, go to the cross. We have some people over there that will meet you and pray with you. We're going to worship. We're going to take some time. We're not going to be in a hurry this morning. But I do want to honor your time. If you, I understand if you need to go, please go. You won't be judged by anybody here. But please respect those that want to just stay and press in. We love you. See you tonight.